This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Across the country, Republicans like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis are fighting against critical race theory, even if they don't know what it is. Let me be clear. There's no room uh, in our classrooms for things like critical race theory. Teaching kids to hate their country and to hate each other is not worth one red cent of taxpayer money. Professor Ibram Kendi explains critical race theory so even racists can understand. Coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Critical race theory used to be something that only academics talked about. But in recent months, many Republican leaders have painted it as the number one threat to democracy. Here's a clip of former President Donald Trump's senior advisor, Stephen Miller. Critical race theory is simply a new attempt at segregation, a new attempt at dividing people based on their skin color. But even as conservatives rush to ban critical race theory from schools, even when it's not being taught, there's a real question about whether they have much of an idea about what it is. To help us make sense of all of this, we're joined by Professor Ibram Kendi, He's the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist and the director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research. He's also the host of a new podcast, Be Anti-Racist with Ibram X. Kendi. And Dr. Ibram Kendi joins us now. Welcome to A Word. Thank you, Jason, for having me on the show. In your mind, what actually is critical race theory? And why do you think Republicans and so many people are so in a kerfuffle about it now? Critical race theory emerged among lawyers and legal scholars who recognized that despite being in this post-civil rights America, that racial inequity and disparity still existed and persisted. And they largely existed and persisted because of our laws and the structure of racism that persisted. And so for them, uh, and for critical race theorists, uh, they wanted to examine those structures, those laws, those policies. And obviously, that's what lawyers do, so that we can uncover the sort of structures of racism. And obviously, critical race theory has extended out to, to other sort of disciplines. Personally, I, I think that the Republicans specifically chose to attack critical race theory because they felt that they could define it more easily than other sort of terms, right? So they couldn't come out and say, oh, those people who are challenging systemic racism are a problem. <laughs> they, they couldn't say those anti-racist are a problem. Uh, they, they felt they would be able to better define, because that's what they're doing. They're defining critical race theory at the same time they're attacking it. And critical race theorists are like, that's not how we define it. <laughs> So, Dr. Kendi, what is the most troubling thing politicians in the media have gotten wrong about critical race theory? Wow. Uh, man, there's so many. I would probably say that that critical race theory is a theory that seeks to attack white people. 
as opposed to it is a theory and in a, in a, in an intellectual tradition that seeks to attack structural racism. <laughs> and, and so if you're white and you're being told by elected officials or even the media that critical race theories are out to go after white people, then I could understand how people would be concerned about that. But it's a very different thing when, 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 when a theory and when critical race theorists are focused you know, on challenging structural racism. Uh, and I think that's that's been very troubling. Would you consider yourself to be a critical race theorist? Like, who are critical race theorists out there that people should be aware of? Because the way the right is trying to define it now, any person, black, brown, white, queer, Asian, whatever, who says anything other than America is the greatest country on the face of the planet is apparently a critical race theorist. So I've certainly been inspired by by critical race theory and critical race theorists. The way in which I've formulated definitions of of racism and racist and anti-racism and anti-racist have not only based, been based on historical sort of evidence, but also Kimberly Crenshaw's intersectional theory, which is she's a, one of the founding and pioneering critical race theorists who, who in the late 1980s and early 1990s said, you know what, Black women aren't just facing racism. They're not just facing sexism. They're facing the intersection of racism and sexism. And it's important for us to understand that. And I, that's foundational to, to my work. Dr. Kendi, your area of expertise, the way that most of America in general has gotten to know you as the person who is teaching us how to be anti-racist, and you say that you've been inspired by a lot of critical race theory, is it possible to be anti-racist without studying critical race theory? Like, is there a shortcut? Can you be an anti-racist by just being a nice person? Or do you really need to steep yourself in some of these structural things in order to be anti-racist? I, I think it's, I mentioned, for instance, the way in which intersectional theory, which is one of the critical components of critical race theory, is is foundational to, to, to being anti-racist. And 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 so I, I just I can't imagine a pathway to, to being anti-racist that does not engage critical race theory. I mean, critical race theorists uh, specifically over the last 40 years have been so foundational to providing a structural analysis of, of race and racism, which is and, and, and to be anti-racist is to have that structural analysis. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more with Professor Ibram Kendi on critical race theory. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Did you know you could be listening to this show ad-free? All it takes is a Slate Plus membership. It's just $1 for the first month, and it helps support our show. Plus, it lets you hear all Slate podcasts without ads and read unlimited articles on the Slate site without ever hitting a paywall. So sign up now for Slate Plus at slate.com slash a word plus. That's slate.com slash a word plus. 
You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about critical race theory with Ibram Kendi. We're going to talk a little bit about academic pushback, right? So, look, in the 90s, you know, Henry Louis Gates was a little skeptical of, of critical race theory. Uh, there have been some academics who have been uh, critical of, of some of your work, you know, how to be anti-racist. Some people have said, oh, it, it kind of lets sort of white America off the hook. My question for you is, one, what are your sort of takes on the internal academic debates about how to be anti-racist? H- have you found yourself, you know, sort of at the nexus of these conversations? Do you get furious text messages, you know, after people have read your work? Or is it more something where people are de- debating two sides of the same coin as opposed to questioning the legitimacy of what you're, you're working on? One of the beauties of being an academic is being able to engage in intellectual exchanges. And, and those intellectual exchanges should be based on our consumption of other people's work. I, To be honest, Jason, I've been most frustrated when I see and hear people, including academics, criticize my work when their criticisms demonstrate they actually haven't engaged my work or read my work, <laughs> right? They just have heard what somebody else has said. And I'm sure any writer, um, and I'm sure those critics themselves would be frustrated if they're being critiqued for something they actually didn't say or didn't believe. One thing I will say, I have focused on uh, more and I've really highlighted, and I wish I would have describe this better within how to be an anti-racist. And I've really come to see this based on some of the conversation around my work is that we tend to, and many people tend to use the term racism and racist interchangeably. And and I even did that in how to be an anti-racist while at the same time, I was trying to define them differently. And we're just so used to using those terms interchangeably. And so what I've done since then is I've been very open about that it's important to understand racism within M as structural, as systemic, as institutional, as I even argue in How to Be an Anti-Racist. But the term racist is a term of individuality. So we're really talking about an individual person, an individual idea, an individual policy, an individual nation. And so the, the you know even a question about you know can a can an Asian person be racist is a very different question. Can that a single individual is a very different question than whether black people as a group. Uh, and when we're talking about a group, that's when we're talking about something that's more structural. Uh, and and I think that I'm happy because the conversation around my book has allowed me to to really ensure that we're not using those terms interchangeably and we have different definitions for those two terms. Oftentimes when we have these discussions, even within the African-American community, you know, you hear the sort of generic bromide, ah, you know, black people can't be racist. But what you're saying is if you are driven by your individual racist sort of mindset, whatever power you do wield, if you use that in a racist way, you can individually be a racist, even if you cannot structurally prevent other people from living their lives, right? To take a step back and then, you know, answer, the question for the individual, no matter their race, is am I in this moment challenging or upholding the structures of racism? That's the question. So if I believe Black people are lazy 
And therefore, that's why they're on the lower end of unemployment rates. Am I going to see the structure of racism that's actually leading to that disparity? Or am I going to go after, you know, let's say unemployed black people? And then when I go after unemployed black people as the problem, the race of the person is irrelevant. (laughs) Because we're all commonly going after those people as the problem, as opposed to the structures of racism. And and I think that's really what I was trying to convey. Are we being anti-racist when we go after people as the problem, as opposed to these structures? So speaking of employment, I want to talk about Nicole Hannah-Jones. This is a situation where conservative forces use their money and resources uh, to go after a Pulitzer Prize winner, a MacArthur Genius Grant uh, the author of the 1619 Project, and and deny her full tenure uh, with her position at UNC Chapel Hill. My question for you was, one, how would we define those particular attacks as either racist or racism, right? Because the critics say, oh, no, 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 this is purely because of academic reasons. And then second, as you've heard about this story, does it make you as a scholar worry about the future of academic freedom? at colleges around the country? Well, first, I think that to your question about how do we distinguish racist from racism, so the attacks, uh, whether it's individual members of the Board of Trustees or the Charter Trustees collectively, or even those who are defending those trustees for, for not providing this incredibly talented and qualified journalist uh, who I see as an academic, uh, Nicole Hannah-Jones, uh, tenure, those were individual sort of attacks and therefore racist attacks. Then when we take a step back and we look at UNC or we look at the nation and we see that black women with tenure are rare, <laughs> that's the function of a, that's a function of a collection or a system or structure that is then leading to that sort of disparity or that uh, injustice really. And, and, and so for me, it's something as being an academic as, you know, as you are, you know, I've, I've witnessed this. I've seen sort of black women and black people more broadly held to different sort of standards. And even myself, I, you know, personally was told that stamp from the beginning was not scholarly enough. <laughs> and and so so therefore it shouldn't necessarily be con- considered for my tenure case. And I've witnessed other people. And so I know this is part of the reason why so many academics all over the country have been outraged about what they're seeing happen to Nicole Hannah-Jones because they've experienced it themselves or they know someone who's experienced it. Uh, We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, more on critical race theory with Ibram Kendi. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. 
And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking with Ibram Kendi about critical race theory. So, you know, even we're both professors in, in, in the last couple of years. Do you find students come in with a better inherent understanding of race and racial dynamics in America, even if they don't understand that to be critical race theory? Or do you think they're pretty much as, as similarly ignorant as they were perhaps when we were back in school? I, I do think some students are indeed coming into classes with a greater awareness of really structural and systemic racism. And, and I, I, I'm not sure, though, whether that's because there are teachers and certainly there are many teachers who, who are teaching this. There's we're, we're living in a time in which there's just this incredible body of of YA authors. Um, and, and so there's so much material that. You know, Jason Reynolds is writing, and Nick Stone, and Angie Thomas, and and, and many other writers, um, or whether they're just reading the news, because <laughs> you know, obviously, over the last eight years, in particular, you know, racism and race has has been consistently talked about in the news, and so they could be watching you on on MSNBC and learning about about racism, or they could be talking to their friends. Your new podcast is Be Anti Racist, and your book. How to Be an Anti-Racist was considered one of the must-reads of the so-called racial reckoning of the last year and a half. What can someone expect every single week when they tune into your podcast on Pushkin? I'm excited because we were able to, each episode has a has a guest, and each of those guests are an expert on a different form of racism. So whether that's, you know, Rebecca Coakley, who I talk with about the intersection of racism and ableism, uh, or Julian Castro, who I talk about uh, immigration with, or uh, Heather McGree, who I talk about sort of the collateral damage of racism onto white people that they don't realize, or, uh, you know, Robin D.G. Kelly, in which we talk about race and class. And and so, you know, racism, you know, as you know, is such a big topic, and there's so many different uh, voices and experts. And so to be able to talk to those experts, not only about that form of racism, but more importantly, the solution, like what should we each be doing to tackle voter suppression? You know, what should we each be doing to address the intersection of racism and homophobia that I talk with Don Lemon about? You know, what should we be doing? Are you optimistic that we can overcome these attacks on critical race theory, that we can overcome these attacks on voter suppression? Do you think that our current government and leadership is up to the task? Or are you worried that we're about to basically have several long, hot summers for the next 20 or 30 years? So I, I do think our Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, is still captive to trying to attract white swing voters who they believe do not want to have serious discussions about the ways in which our nation is racist or about just how pervasive structural racism is. And then you have a Republican Party, obviously, that imagines that structural racism doesn't exist. So you put that together and unfortunately, uh, you know, we have these two forces or major political forces 
that neither of which want to, to have these serious conversations. On the other hand, if you compare 2021 to 1921 or 1821, there are many people who are committed to creating a different type of nation in extremely important and powerful positions. And they were just were not there, you know, in, in 1921. Like you, of course, you had W.B. Du Bois, right, who was publishing The Crisis, but The Crisis wasn't necessarily a mainstream newspaper. So, you know, we do have these journalists and, and scholars and, and even elected officials and, and activists who are in key positions and are in key powerful positions. And, and their commitment, you know, gives me hope. Ibram Kendi is the director of the Boston University Center for Anti-Racist Research and the host of the new podcast, Be Anti-Racist with Ibram X. Kendi on the Pushkin Network. Ibram Kendi, thank you very much. Thank you, Jason, for having me. And that's a word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel and Jasmine Ellis. Asha Salusha is the managing producer of podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.